Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Today's episode is brought to you by West Holm. We all know from home cooks to restaurant chefs to eating enthusiasts that the quality of your ingredients makes all the difference, especially when it comes to meat. West Holm, which is based in Queensland in the Northern Territory, Australia, is working with the land to create nature-led Australian Wagyu. They steward 16 million acres of rangeland, guided by the natural ecosystem where their cattle thrive. The result is high-quality Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of Northern Australia and a flavor suited to complement any cuisine. West Holm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash saver. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com slash consulting. IBM. Let's create. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hello and welcome to Saver, production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese, And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're talking about apples. Yes. <laughs> Which is a big topic, <laughs> as you yeah. might imagine. Yeah, big enough that uh, uh, when I suggested it, um, I was like, Annie, are you, is this okay? Is this okay for this week? <laughs> and I was like, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, we can do something different. Like, we don't have to right now. We must. Um, yeah, we've been, we've been putting it off a while because it is a big topic. Just, you know, lots of, uh, lots of ground to cover. I still feel like I, I could have, I could have kept adding to this outline forever. It could have just been eternal apple. Yes. Yes, Apple Eternal. I also realized that as I was doing this, there are so many sayings throughout history that have Apple mm-hmm. in them. And I, w- I didn't even remember some as we were about to record. I forgot about uh, Apples to Oranges, which I feel like would be pretty, I don't know. <laughs> I understand <laughs> that's probably <laughs> a long time it's been around, I guess is what I'm trying to say. 
Oh, uh, yeah. I have not looked it up. Um, of all the uh, etymological things that I looked up for this one, that was not one of them. So I, it's going to have to be a, a mystery to us as well as you, unless you know where that came from. And then let us know. Yeah. Yeah. And then let us know. Um, so <laughs> I, I have done some apple picking in my day. Ah. I, gr- I grew up near LJ, Georgia, which is like the apple center of uh of Georgia. And it was a field trip we would go on when I was in elementary school. We'd go to LJ uh. and to the apple orchards. Mm. But now I live in fear because I have a tooth, a fake tooth. And the oh. dentist told me very seriously that I had to avoid apples, carrots, and ice. Now, I can slice it up, but... Oh, uh-huh, but not a whole apple. Who wants to deal with that hassle? I, oh, <laughs> see, I don't, I don't like eating whole apples because uh, of the texture against your teeth. Like, yeah. something about, like, the snap of the skin and then, like, the pulp right. of the fruit is really upsetting to me when it's mm. a whole apple situation. So, mm. yeah, I always slice an apple. If I'm going to eat one, I always <laughs> slice it. This is why I don't eat more apples. Um, oh, do you like them yeah. in general? I do. I do. Um, I, I get cravings for apples and then I'm like, oh, do I really want to slice it? And then it just sits there. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, until I eventually am like, this is too soft to eat out of hand. I need to like make like a crumble or something like right. that, which I which I did uh, last week or this week. I, time is meaningless now. I don't know. Recently. <laughs> um, recently enough that I still have some in my fridge and I ate some with some yogurt uh, while we were preparing this outline, so that sounds lovely. It was lovely. Uh, yeah, I've I've never been apple picking to my to my dismay. I've lived in in Georgia, so close to him for so long. Um, I keep trying to go every fall, and it it has not worked out so far. But um, I do have early memories of a, a family reunion that took place at an apple orchard. Um, my mom's side of the family, somewhere up in Ohio, it would have been. <laughs> I do think it's funny that apple picking has kind of become synonymous with a bad date. That makes that makes me laugh. <laughs> oh, is it? <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, I've frequently seen it as a joke of like, oh, no, we're going <laughs> apple picking. <laughs> I've never seen that stereotype. I love it, though. That's that's really that's I really would definitely silly. be in the I would be the person that's like, we're going apple picking. Yeah, oh, right. No. <laughs> um, so we did choose this because um, it's fall. Uh, it's Halloween adjacent. Like if you think about bobbing for apples and mm-hmm. of course, like the story of Snow White, the poisoned apple. Yeah. Or the apple in the, in, in the witch. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I just watched a horror movie where the big plot twist in the end was apples. Like huh. planting apple seeds in somebody. And oh. then they grow the tree out of that body and then you eat the apple and you get like youth. Oh. Um, yeah, it was well, pretty messed up. A whole thing. Okay. It was a whole thing. Uh, and <laughs> we recently <laughs> talked to Dan Passion of the Sporkful about the Cosmic Crisp, which is a new apple hitting the market. Which, yeah, until we talked to him about that, I hadn't really realized how many apples you have to choose from from the store, which as we're going to get into is actually nothing in this history of apples but in the scheme of apples yeah yeah but compared to like oranges or bananas you do have you know a handful of types of apples and usually somebody's got you got your favorite types of apples and apples you use for cooking and all kinds of things it's a whole it's a whole commercial apple world it is and we have done a couple other episodes about apple 
products before. Yes, we've done one on cider and apple pie. And uh, I know for one of those, I think it was apple pie, but it might have been cider. Uh, We really went more in depth into the story of uh, Johnny Appleseed. If you want to yeah. go back and give that a listen, we're, we're going to mention it in here, but uh, not go as in-depth since we've already covered it once. Yes. Um, we also, alongside the Apple Pie uh, podcast episode, we did a video episode with our dear friend Julia Skinner, yep. um, who is a uh, historical, uh, culin- culinarily historical human person. Yep. Um, uh, you might recognize her from our episode about afternoon tea. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, she, she helped us or, or we helped her rather, um, make this, this old, old, old apple pie recipe with like yes. whole apples and you stick them in a pie crust and then you eat them and it's kind of confusing, but delicious. <laughs> it was really good. It was really good. I think it was difficult to eat, but it was really good. Yeah. And I, the reason it was more difficult, to, I, I think it was more difficult to eat because the smallest apples we could find were probably oh, yeah. a good deal larger than the size that they would have been using mm-hmm. back in the day. That's true. Um, I also want to take this moment, as always, to mention uh, the apple muffin. I've brought this up before. If if you're <laughs> like me and in your need of something to laugh at, uh, go look up this clip for the New York uh, <laughs> government arguing about the apple oh, apple muffin. Um, yeah, right. it's excellent. Yeah. Every time I bring it up, every single time, and I will continue to do so. Uh, yeah, well, thank you. It's a it's a it's a good and important reminder. <laughs> You're welcome. It's a service that I do. <laughs> um, but okay, I guess we should get to our question. Mm-hmm. Apples. What are they? Well, uh, an apple is a fruit that grows on short to mid-sized deciduous trees, a botanical name Malus domestica, uh, that prefer a temperate climate, including a cool winter, to give the tree time to to lie dormant and uh, store up nutrients for when it flowers and then fruits in the spring. Uh, Those flowers start out kind of pink and often fade to white, and when they're pollinated, will each develop a single fruit with this uh, thin, edible, sort of snappy skin containing a thick layer of um, varyingly crisp and juicy flesh, which in turn contains a papery but still edible core protecting a few small seeds, usually five, sometimes other numbers. Um, Depending on the variety, the fruits can range from like the size of a cherry to like the size of a grapefruit. In skin color, when ripe from uh, green to gold to red to purple, and in flesh color from white to cream to, to blush to crimson, there are some wild-looking varieties of apples out there, y'all. Yes. Um, the trees, by the way, are in the rose family, uh, Rosacaceae, and they're pretty hardy but uh, a little bit tricksy because in order to get the kind of fruit that you want, you can't just plant a seed from a fruit that you enjoyed. Um, like, the resulting tree could carry any kind of fruit by the time it matures. And so, um, so yeah, yeah, you get the fruit that you want through grafting, which is sort of like botanically uh, Frankensteining a, a limb from the tree that you want onto whatever other apple tree that you've got. Right. Um, and apples, yeah, can range from uh, from sweet and juicy to quite sour and dry and anything in between, really. Um, different varieties are used for eating fresh, cooking and baking both sweet and savory dishes, and uh, making into vinegar, juice, cider, wine, and other beverages. 
Um, apples also contain a lot of pectin, which is like a jellifying kind of fiber. It's, it, it, it soaks up a lot of water, um, which is super useful in making like jams and jellies and other products. And uh, yeah, the, these days growers use all kinds of cool agricultural tricks and technologies to get like the most best fruit out of their orchards. Um, you know, developing and training trees with that have that have more compact branches. Um, using machines that allow for easier pruning and picking, using reflective materials on the ground to like bounce sunlight up at the bottom of the fruit to encourage like more even coloration. Wow, love it. Nice. You know yeah. what I forgot uh, until we were doing this research? I forgot about the whole um, when you eat an apple, it feels like you brushed your teeth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they say that the fibers in it are good for your teeth, but I feel like the sugars in it are probably bad for your teeth. So I don't know. Maybe <laughs> maybe it like helps get rid of plaque, but at the yeah. same time, probably still brush your teeth. Oh yeah. Afterwards, <laughs> yeah. or not? Yeah, not to say don't brush your teeth at all. Just eat <laughs> apples. That's not. I'm that's not, not a dentist. What we're recommending. Yeah, no, no I'm no, not no, a no. dentist, but that's not what I'm recommending. <laughs> no, no. Uh, two out of two <laughs> podcasters agree. <laughs> um, what about the nutrition then? Uh, well, uh, apples are, are low in calories and high in fiber with a small smattering of vitamins and minerals, primarily vitamin C and potassium, and also a pretty good spread of like stuff what helps your body get stuff done. Um, they're being investigated for helping reduce heart disease and cancer, lots of antioxidant kind of stuff like that. Um, they are a little bit sugary, so, um, you know, they'll help fill you up, but to keep you going, I'd say pair it with a little bit of protein and fat for like a better balanced snack. Oh, I love those ants on a log. Well, not that. That's not what the, <laughs> this is actually a good Halloween treat, not ants on a log, but you can make like a face with an apple and you put peanut butter in it. And then you use, like, marshmallows for teeth or raisins for teeth. Oh, cute. Uh, Yeah. I loved that. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Well, numbers-wise, the U.S. Apple Association, which I love, uh, claims that in 2009, apple producers churned out 30 million apples. China is the world's largest producer of apples, followed by the United States. Uh, Yeah, China also consumes the most apples, like by far, like 48% of the world's total volume of apples, which for the record is over 77 million metric tons per year worldwide. Um, So 48% of that. And so like, like we come in second in terms of eating apples, but like they eat tenfold more than we do. Like we eat like a little less than 5% (laughs) compared to that 48 um, we also produce ninefold less than they do. So this wild amounts of apples is what we're talking about. Wow. I don't think I had a single apple when I was in China. And I was really? there for almost a year. Huh. Yeah. It could been it could have been a thing of like, uh, I was trying I was trying all these new things. And maybe uh, I was like apples. Yeah. I can get those. I know what those are. Um, yeah. uh, I have I have read that. They can be part of New Year's celebrations um, because there's a pun involved. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I forget which pun now. There's a lot I read of this and then I didn't write it down. But <laughs> that's okay. Um, <laughs> I believe it. Uh, yeah, and I was there for New Year's, but just didn't. Maybe I didn't even make note a mental note of it. Well, there are a lot 
of varieties of apples. One of the largest apple orchards in the world, if not the largest, is the USDA's Plant Genetics Resources Unit in New York, which boasts 2,500 types of apple from all over. And yeah, like depending on who you ask, I the number that I saw a lot was that across the world, there are some um, 7,500 types of apple. Um, and, but I also read that like, that like there may have been, and I'm not sure if this was like over the course of history or like hidden apples, I'm not sure, (laughs) but like as many as like (gasps) 30,000 varieties. Wow. So I don't know. Either way, I I mean, I mean, 7,500 apples is still. It's a lot. A bunch of apples. It is. It is, in fact, a bunch of apples. However, 15 varieties make up 90% of apples in the U.S., of the apples we're consuming. Uh, The delicious Uh variety, which I know gets a lot of the hate, uh, is the most grown (laughs) in the United States. And the most consumed, yeah. Uh, And and that's kind of similar outside of the United States as well. Um, Only about 20 to 40 varieties of apples are widely commercially produced around the world. Apples in general are America's second most popular fruit, bananas first, if you're wondering. And the average American eats about 16 pounds of apples a year. Wow. Which is not, which is impressive, but it's not globally impressive. Because (laughs) per capita, as of 2019, Poland ate 99 pounds (gasps) of apples per person per year. That's 45 kilos. Um, With Turkey and Iran... Not far behind. It's 73 pounds or about 33 kilos each. Dang. <laughs> that is a lot of apples. You are doing a lot more snacking on apples than I am, I strongly suspect. <laughs> uh, they are, though, the, uh, the third most grown fruit in the world with a global market value of very nearly $79 billion as of 2019. I keep wanting to say how about them apples and refraining. <laughs> and now I'm telling you, so it's almost as bad as saying uh, it. But I just want to put out there that it's like, yeah. I know you're probably thinking it, listeners, in the back of your head. I am too. I'm right there with well, you. There you go. But I'm trying to show <laughs> restraint. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, there there are apple festivals across the United States, um, around the world as well. Uh, if you've been to one in your area, please write in and let us know what that's like. Yes. Oh, my gosh, yes. I want to know if there's a pageant. I want to yeah. know if there's games. I want to mm-hmm. know your puns. I want to yes. know your your foods. Mm-hmm. Me, too. I should have—I never went to the one in LJ, but— Oh, no? Hmm. No. Well, LJ is sort of—it's one of those small towns that's on a two-lane road, and there's always a huge semi and, like, 40 cars oh, lined up behind you. Yeah, yeah. And it, it gets packed in the fall. Everybody goes— they want the apples. <sighs> you got to go early in the season or else. That's my word of advice for anybody. <laughs> oh, duly noted. Okay. Uh, yes. And the apple is perhaps the most well-known fruit in the world, particularly if we're going by number of depictions in media. Uh, it's popped up in art all around the globe throughout history. Um, poets from Emily Dickinson to Robert Frost have written about them. And artists like Magritte have painted them. Uh, clearly, they've been... The object of our imagination for quite a while. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and we are going to get into the history of that. But first, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. We've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy piña colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you? Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. <laughs> I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks. But I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here, when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a saver team trip yeah. together. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, I mean, we're, we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this is, yeah. this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go. And I'm hungry. No me passport too. is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Today's episode is brought to you by West Holm. I'm a person who doesn't really cook with a lot of meat, to be honest, because when I do, I want it to be special. I'm the same, and I do love sharing that food with people. And I have to say, we received some product, some steak, <laughs> mm -hmm. and I am very eager to share it with my friends. <laughs> yeah, uh, West Holm sent us uh, a few of their products, and they included these gorgeous, gigantic tomahawk steaks that I, like, opened the box and immediately sent a picture to my best grilling friend, like, hang out soon. Yes, I did too. <laughs> <laughs> West Holm offers these beautifully marbled steaks because they have 16 million acres of rangeland across the northeast corner of Australia, from Brisbane to Darwin. They use a nature-led approach with the belief that if they balance the needs of their cattle with the needs of their environment, both can thrive. Their cattle graze on native grasses like Mitchell grass, which is found only in Australia, and roam wild, foraging at will for the first two to three years of their lives. The result is Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of northern Australia, and a quality that would complement whatever you're into cooking right now. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholme.com slash saver. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash saver. If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code. A lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time. 
resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash codeassistant. IBM, let's create. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So, apples are ancient. Um, Like, large fruiting precursors may go back nine to seven million years ago. Uh, The seeds spread by these giant animals. Well, by, okay, by, by large fruiting, we, we mean something like the size we see today as opposed to the smaller varieties that were around for a lot of history. Um, and by giant animals, um, they mean human-sized or larger, um, like, like, like 90 pounds, 40 kilos and up. Um, uh, although they could get quite big. Like, uh, like in the Americas, they think that uh, humans and uh, bears and maybe deer, maybe some animals similar to, to like a mastodon, we're carrying them around um, in Africa, humans and other primates, elephants, rhinoceroses, various types of wild horse, um, stuff like that. So I'm impressed by like the rhinoceros thing. I'm like, all right. Yeah. Right? Thanks, rhinoceros. <laughs> yeah, thank you. We don't think the rhinoceros <laughs> enough. Uh, and I also love how the word megafauna kept coming up. I'd never heard that word, but I... Oh, yeah. That's, it just means, yeah, like, like weighing more than 90 pounds, 40 kilos. Oh, man. I was hoping, like, <laughs> this huge-ass apple. <laughs> <laughs> this, like, big creature eating it. Well, yeah. that's still pretty cool. All right, all right. Uh... <laughs> The first modern apples are thought to have originated in Kazakhstan or neighboring regions. Uh, Recent research suggests that humans have been trading wild apple seeds for over 10,000 years. And art from the time indicates domesticated apples might have been around in southern Europe for at least 2,000 years. The oldest known variety is 4,000 years old. Yeah, the uh, ancient Romans may have cultivated, like, six different varieties, which is pretty cool. Um, Although overall, yeah, like, the whole domestication process of the apple is still a little bit unclear. There is a lot of research going into it, uh, mostly articles that have words like megafauna. Yes, (laughs) yes, and it's recent research. Yeah, and speaking of, some recent genetic research suggests that our modern apple is a hybrid of four types of wild apples that probably came together via trade on the Silk Road. Prior to that, the Ice Age had isolated different apple types from each other. This hybridization resulted in a larger apple, which humans later selected for through grafting. And there is a whole book about this, apparently, called Fruit of the Sands. Um, it's by one Robert Spengler. It is currently sitting under my desk, and I have not had a chance to read it yet, and now I'm really mad at myself. <laughs> I, that's a good title, because from that, I wouldn't know immediately. It could be any number of things. <laughs> it, it also it also ta- does talk about uh, a bunch of other different different stuff that was being traded around at the time but um but yeah perhaps perhaps mainly the apple perhaps and also i feel like we've mentioned this before in one of our previous apple adjacent episodes but apples at this time like wild apples were often very sour and bitter yeah and probably really astringent like yeah. if y'all have ever eaten um a a, a crab apple yeah which are the type that is native to America, um, they're, they're puckery. They're, yes. it's, like, it's like eating like a 
like a dry lemon. (laughs) Oh, your facial expression is saying everything you need to me. (laughs) It's like a lemon filled with like sand, like a sand lemon. It's it's a really interesting experience that I definitely, Mm. we had a crab apple tree in my front yard for a Mm. few years when I was growing up and it was a really good climbing tree. And yeah. every every year, every year, I would be like, oh, man, I should try. Maybe they'll be different this time. <laughs> Never. Nope. <laughs> I appreciate the optimism and hope, though. Mm-hmm. You know, um, sure, let's call it that. Let's call it optimism <laughs> and hope. That's that's what I'm going that with. seven-year-old Lauren was working off of, yes. sure. <laughs> yes, that's what I think. Um, since prehistoric times, apples have had this sort of mystique around them. Uh, Mm -hmm. Wild apples that grew across Europe and Asia were often viewed as sacred, as granters of youth and fertility, particularly women's fertility. Since apples came in the fall and were turned into butters and ciders and all kinds of things to to help people get through the winter, uh, and then the trees blossomed in the spring, many associated the apple with renewal. Ah. Yeah. mm -hmm. And perhaps because of this, apples have featured in stories throughout our history. In Greek mythology, the Greek goddess Atalanta was able to outrun any suitors until a wise man tempted her with an apple (laughs) and she stops. Uh, The Trojan War was kicked off uh, over an argument about the golden apple. The golden apple of beauty. Yeah, Yeah, I totally forgot about that. Mm -hmm. Um, If you look at the story of King Arthur, he was laid to rest in Avalon, the, quote, Isle of Apples. According to legend, magical golden apples of immortality gave the Norse gods their power. So that's where Thor gets his. Like, oh, he's God of Thunder, but I'm like, isn't it lightning though? Anyway, different, different complaint for a different day. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. In Arabian Nights, a magic apple was capable of curing all ailments and diseases. However, as we've mentioned before, while our modern interpretation of the forbidden fruit that Eve took a bite out of in the Garden of Eden. Uh, is an apple. It's actually only called fruit in the text. Mm-hmm. So pretty much every fruit has been put forth as a potential <laughs> candidate, especially fruits that would have been growing around this time, I guess, mm-hmm. um, of when it was written, where it was written, uh, particularly the fig. However, it is true that the apple is the one that we have culturally seemed to have settled on in visual depictions, especially more modernly. And this probably came about in the 12th century. Historians think it might have been because the Latin word malice meant both apple and evil. Mm-hmm. By 1504, at the very least, an engraving by Albert Durer showed Eve with an apple. And there was a 16th century painting that depicted Adam and Eve under an apple tree. By the time of Milton's Paradise Lost in the 17th century, the image of apple with a capital A was pretty much solidified. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, and part of the confusion about the original intent there is that for a long time in many uh, Proto-Indo-European descendant languages, um, the words for apple uh, could refer specifically to an apple or to any kind of fruit in general, um, which is also where you get kind of hilarious compound phrases for different, like, new-to-Europe produce that were coming in, starting with uh, the age of colonization, um, like uh, like the apple of paradise for the banana, or the, uh, the, the pomme de terre, the uh, apple of the earth for the potato. Yep. 
Yep. Uh, that, that does add a layer of confusion for sure. <laughs> Doesn't help. Doesn't help. No, no. I, Thanks, when I, history. Yeah. Always trying to mess us up. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> when I was a kid, I loved this movie, which I've since rewatched and wasn't very, well, I still enjoyed it, but it wasn't very good, called What Lies Beneath. And it had a apple oh. as, like, forbidden seduction yeah. uh, scene in there. That really oh, stuck yeah. out with me as a kid. <laughs> huh. um, I'm sure that that's exactly what was going on in in, in The Witch. Um, yeah. Although I, although I wondered, yeah, no, I guess by, by that time, by that time, the apple was pretty much that thing. So, yeah. good on, good on it. Good on it. <laughs> the phrase apple of my eye was first recorded in the ninth century wow. in Gregory's pastoral care by King Alfred of Wessex. And it actually referred to the pupil of the eye. Like, like literally, like yes. not like figuratively, like it was just your pupil. Yes. Uh, at the time, the pupil was believed to be this solid round object. And of hmm. course, back then, vision was precious. Uh, there weren't as many ways to improve your vision if something went wrong. Yeah. And because of that, as time progressed, the saying came to denote something precious. Uh, oh. The saying, yeah, I know. I actually wasn't really sure what that saying meant until I did this research. Uh, oh, well. Uh, it appeared in uh, <laughs> yeah. the King James Version of the Bible and A Midsummer's Night Dream. I believe the first time I, 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 I was familiar with the phrase because of who framed Roger Rabbit? Because... Oh. Because when he when he thinks that when 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 Roger the you know the rabbit thinks that Jessica his lovely wife has has played patty cake with another man, um, <gasps> he goes, "No, she's the light of my life, the apple of my eye, the cream in my coffee." <laughs> now talking about a horror movie, I, I saw that once as a kid, never again, because it scared me <laughs> so badly. <laughs> oh wow, it was I was really scared of it as a child too, but in a way that I enjoyed, like Christopher Lloyd really wigged me out in that film. Mm, mm-hmm. Like, I, and I was used to watching him as like Doc Brown in the yeah. uh, in the Back to the Future movies. So I yeah. was like, why do actors? Like, that was one of my first experiences of like actors play different roles. Yeah. I mean, What Lies Beneath is also that. <laughs> ah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I actually thought Apple in my eye meant like your kid. So I'm glad I haven't oh. come up with, I haven't used it inappropriately. <laughs> that would have been really embarrassing. Um, now I know. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Apple trees proliferated across <laughs> Europe in the 13th century. One of the first known encyclopedias published in 1470 included an entry on apples. In the 1500s, a physician to Queen Elizabeth I, which, by the way, she said was the best physician around or something like that, uh, recommended smelling an apple to recover strength. Huh. Ah, that's nice. It's nice smell. Um, around the time, several of Shakespeare's works did mention apples. During the 16th century, we get the first recorded instance of bad apple. It might have been rotten apple at the time, but uh, and it appeared in Chaucer's The Canterbury Tales. So many apple phrases. Um, mm-hmm. The original meaning was someone who creates problems for other people, uh, but many people modernly use it incorrectly that bad behavior is not reflective of the whole. Like, there's just one bad apple or whatever, and it doesn't mean that this whole organization is bad. Yeah, yeah, because the original meaning or the original phrase was something to the extent of uh, one rotten apple spoils the whole barrel. Right. Um, And many people use it today to mean the opposite. Yes, and that might be because, you'll never believe this, in 1970, the Osmond brothers... 
Ah, yes. They came out with a hit song called One Bad Apple, parentheses, Don't Spoil the Whole Bunch Girl, exclamation mark. <laughs> and history was made. <laughs> wow. I, I, I like to think that the Osmond brothers were like specifically throwing yeah. down a gauntlet like at Chaucer. Yeah, probably. <laughs> That's the, the beef of history we need to know more about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what did Chaucer ever do to you all? Yeah, Osmond Brothers. If someone knows the story behind it, let us know. <laughs> we have another apple-related phrase. Mm-hmm. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Uh-huh. And that perhaps goes back as, as far as 1585, although I saw some really wide-ranging dates for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Could be way older, like way, way older. Uh, mysteries history. I'm sure some version of that saying has been around for a long time because it just kind of yeah. makes sense. It does. It's it's literal. I mean, apples do not fall far from their trees. <laughs> yes, that is true. Um, and yes, that can have meanings. So <laughs> it's true. It's true. French traders brought apple seeds to Canada in the 16th and 17th centuries. Uh, apple trees were brought to Africa in 1654 and Australia in 1788. European colonists settling in America brought apple seeds with them. Uh, yes, they only found crab apples when they arrived, along with traditions and beliefs around apples themselves. One of those traditions was one that a lot of us are probably familiar with, bobbing for apples. Hmm. Which I have never in my life done. And I really don't oh, have a desire no? to. Mm-mm. No, it's pretty gross. And I think that in these, like, our COVID times, like, that's not going to be a thing <laughs> yeah. for a very long time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I always, like, even as a child, I was like, this is gross and and damp and, like, difficult. Um, <laughs> I, have, I have participated in this in, like, fall fairs and elementary school. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I was... <laughs> Terrifically unsuccessful. <laughs> it seems like it would be hard. It's not easy. It's not. Especially when you have a tiny child jaw. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Come on now. <laughs> not fair. <laughs> well, okay. This this has a great story behind it. So apparently girls and women back in the olden times would secretly mark the apples and put them in a barrel of water. And then potential matches would dunk their heads into that water and bite into the first apple that they could as a way to uh, see romantic futures. It's like a, oh, we should be together. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's a romantic party game yeah. in colonial American times. Yeah. Uh, and this wasn't the only romantic party game. <laughs> or not, I guess not party game, but predictor tradition associated with the apple In New England, after the apple harvest, apples needed to be peeled uh, for apple butter to last the winter. Uh, Like a lot of apples. Um, Yeah. Young, unattached women would attempt to peel the apple without breaking the peel and then toss it over their shoulder and then look to see what letter the peel formed. And that's, yes, it's supposed to be the first letter of the name of your future spouse. Ah. Now, I have done this, and I've talked about it before on the show. I've also talked about how I feel like there's some letters you just can't get. Like, you're only going to get a C or maybe a D or, like, an I. Um, Anyway, I don't know why I'm getting so mad about this. (laughs) (laughs) 
It really depends on how you peel it, though. Like, if you if you just go around the apple, then you're probably pretty limited. But, like, if you do some, like, clever zigzagging, like, you could get, like, a W or an M pretty oh, easy, I think. You're right. I think you can... Rig the system a little bit. Yeah, you can game this one. Oh, wow. That's funny. I hadn't really thought about that. See, when I played it, like, you, you would do that... And then you had to go inside for like an hour and let it like curl into whatever it was going to do. And it was almost always just a C. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe a D. Uh, Anyway. (laughs) Uh, Not only this, uh, this connection between the fortune-telling abilities of apples and Halloween goes way back. All the way back to Samhain, uh, the Celtic festival and precursor to our modern Halloween. Um, and we have talked about this before, but briefly, uh, this festival usually occurred at the end of October. It was a celebration of harvest end, of summer's end, not just for the current year, but potentially forever. Um, the, the days start getting shorter. What are you going to do about it? Right, right. And there was this fear that maybe it's just irreversible. Mm-hmm. Um so to hopefully prevent that and ensure that spring and the harvest would return, people would have these huge bonfires, um, make sacrifices uh, of animals uh, to the gods or leave gifts of fruits and nuts, uh, and hang apples from evergreen trees. And this allowed for those that had died over the previous year to pass through the barrier into the underworld, which, according to what I read, it was believed to be pretty thick. But on this day, you would... Do it's, this. It's, it's thinner. Yeah. It's thinner. The so veil people, is thinner. You can do the thing. You can do the thing. People can go through. But of course, <laughs> that allowed for some perhaps troublesome spirits uh, to come into our world. Mm. Um, it also increased the power of divination, this uh, thinner veil. So it's believed that you could, you could contact people or see the future more easily. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... Cool Halloween aside aside. Um, <laughs> these early apple orchards in the U.S. did struggle at first until Europeans shipped over honeybees in 1622, which I totally forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. The European honeybees were really important to it. Yeah. Uh, a few shipments followed in the ensuing years. And by the 1640s, orchards were doing pretty well. And like we discussed in our cider episode, a lot of these early apples did go into cider uh, more for drinking than for eating because, again, they were probably pretty sour, a lot of them. Um, then, in 1665 or 66, the stuff of science legend. Hmm. Sir Isaac Newton was sitting under a tree when an apple hit him on the head, or perhaps just fell in front of him, and he came up with the law of gravity. <laughs> Infamous story. Or, yes, as the story goes. Yes, yes. Uh, there was a really funny, dry, like, I think it was from the Royal Science... Whatever that that um, society is, mm-hmm. there's a really funny entry about. Well, I thought it was funny, but it was like Sir Isaac Newton <laughs> sat there just whiling away the days, wondering about, and then an apple were to fall in front of him, and it was just. I thought it was funny. Um, <laughs> in New York in 1737, Robert Prince set up the very first commercial nursery for apples in the U.S. Up until the Civil War, the owners, which stayed in family uh, all those years, collected and sold apple trees from all over the world and and other plants. Um, During the Revolutionary War, the nursery was considered important enough for protection by British armed guards. Oh. (laughs) 
Wow. However, mm-hmm, George Washington wasn't as impressed. Oh. After visiting in 1789, he wrote, I set off from New York about nine o'clock in my barge to visit Mr. Prince's fruit gardens and shrubberies at Flushing. These gardens, except in the number of young fruit trees, did not answer my expectations. The shrubs were trifling and the flowers not numerous. The shrubs were trifling. Oof. Oof, I can feel that old-timey burn. (laughs) (laughs) In the 1780s, Thomas Jefferson wrote, uh, they have no apples to compare with our new town, Pippin. I love the word Pippin. It's a good word. Yeah. More stuff of legend. Uh, (laughs) John Chapman, a.k.a. Johnny Appleseed, went around with a bag of seeds, claiming that good seeds and not grafting was the only way to get good apples in the late 1700s, early 1800s. According to some sources, he dreamt of producing enough apples that no one would ever go hungry. He went out west, helping to foster apple orchards as he went. Most of the apples were too sour for eating, so they did end up in apple cider or apple jack. And because of that, a lot of these orchards ended up getting burned with the temperance movement and prohibition. Ah, uh, huh. Yeah. There's actually... I. I know we talked about it in whatever episode where we talked about Johnny Appleseed. I thought it was not a real person, so this was shocking to me. Uh, and there is a lot of, out there about him. A lot of it is yeah. probably, you know, the stuff of legend. But if you want to know more, there's a lot out there. Mm-hmm. In 1817, William Cox published one of the first American works on apples. And the U.S. had thousands of varieties of apples by the middle of the 1800s, more than anywhere else in the world. Apples made their way out to the Pacific Northwest in 1825. The delicious variety of apple originated in 1870 at an orchard in Iowa. It was a variety that refused to die. (laughs) (laughs) And when the owner sent a sample to the 1893 Louisiana Apple Fair, uh, the president of Stark Nurseries tried it and dubbed it delicious. There you Ah, go. And the name is history. The name is history. Around the same time, uh, speaking of, in Australia, Maria Ann Smith randomly spotted a seedling in her compost pile that went on to produce the variety now known as Granny Smith. Um, The story goes it was the result of a crabapple tossed out her window. Hmm. And apparently there is a huge Granny Smith festival in Australia. So if anyone's ever Uh been to that, uh, please, please let us know. In 1886, we see the first written record of the phrase, an apple a day keeps the doctors away. Or perhaps it was this version. It a apple a vor again to bed. <laughs> and you'll make the doctor beg his bread. I don't know what that first part means, but I understand the second bit. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you have an apple before you go to bed, um, you'll make the doctor <laughs> beg his bread. Some, something, I'm, I'm guessing that's what it means. <laughs> My excellent uh, <laughs> maneuvering of old English. <laughs> this whole thing was a part of rebranding of sorts for apples in the U.S. after Prohibition, since, again, most apples before that went into hard cider. So mm-hmm. this whole, it's healthy, eat yeah. it. Eat yeah. this food that we make, please. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And another apple tradition might have emerged during this time, giving an apple to the teacher. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I forgot about this, too, until we were doing this research. Um, During frontier times, teachers were seen as these moral figures, and families whose children attended their classes 
often were responsible for feeding them. An apple became a popular food to give, and this stuck around even after this whole we're feeding the teacher thing went away. Mm -hmm. In 1939, Bing Crosby released an apple a day complete with this line, an apple for the teacher will always do the trick when you don't know your lesson in arithmetic. (laughs) (laughs) And we see this in Pinocchio, A Christmas Story had it. Um, Mm -hmm. By 1968, the term apple polisher meant essentially brown noser. Ah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And the fact that school started in September, coinciding with the start of uh, Apple season, uh, might have also played into it. Sure. Uh, yeah, sure. The candied apple was allegedly invented by accident in 1908 when Newark, New Jersey candy maker William Kolb knocked some apples into candy syrup. Since sugar refineries and apples were plentiful in that region, candied apples might have become a Halloween hmm. staple soon after that. I'm sure... Like, that's a great story, but I'm sure, you know, it just kind of makes sense to me. Yeah. When you're coating stuff in candy syrup and you have an apple sitting there, you're like, huh, what about this? What about this? this? (laughs) By the 1930s, the U.S. had over 10,000 varieties of apples. Thanks to inexpensive refrigerated transportation, urbanization, and commercialization, many of those apple varieties are gone. But a lot of people, a lot of people have been working on bringing them back and documenting them. Beginning in Maine in 1972, a man named John Bunker, who's also called the Apple Whisperer, uh, the Apple Guy, mm-hmm. set out rescuing, rescuing apple varieties. He estimates he saved about 80 to 100 varieties of apples. And he did this through all sorts of apple forensics. And also with the help of wanted posters about town. Um, <laughs> like, it would, they're so good. It's like, wanted alive, Narragansett apple. Last seen in New York County, exclamation point. Originated on the farm of Jacob H. Harmon Buxton in 1873. If you know the whereabouts of this apple, please contact Fedco. If you know the whereabouts of this apple, I love this so much. And it came with a drawing of the apple. Oh, oh. wow. Huh. Yes, it's so good. Um, and he's not the only one by far. No. Um, another such person is Dan Bussey, who in 2017 published The Illustrated History of Apples in the United States and Canada, which was a collection of seven volumes ranging each between 500 and 600 pages long. Whoa. Wow. Documenting over 16,000 apple varieties and weighing in at 32 pounds. <laughs> oh, of the apples listed in that book, in this collection of volumes, only about 20% are still grown today. This is also an artistic endeavor. Um, as of 2019, a photographer by the name of uh, William Mullins debuted his Odd Apples project, which is this uh, series of portraits of strange varieties of apples. <laughs> portraits of apples, yeah. And just like really weird, gorgeous like apples that resemble anything from like a golden potato to uh, a a grinning jack-o'-lantern to a black plum to a pearl. Wow, I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah, look up Odd Apples. It's it's pretty spectacular. Um, Also, as of April 2020, a group called the Temperate Orchard Conservancy, um, working together with a nonprofit called the Lost Apple Project, um, announced that they had located 10 previously thought extinct varieties over just the past few months. Wow. 
Yeah, I highly recommend checking all these stories out because there are a lot of yeah. them and it's fascinating. It um, is. Yeah, this last one, like I know that they're working with at least one like retired FBI agent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like stuff like that. I'm mm-hmm. like, what are you talking about? I love this. That's so good. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, going back a little bit, um, in 1976, Apple Computer Company was founded. Um, the very first iteration of their logo was a woodcut-style image of Newton under the apple tree. Or another story goes that Apple founder Steve Jobs was big into fruits uh, and came up with the name on the way back from a visit to an apple orchard and that the bite represents a bite, B-Y-T-E. Yeah. Well, I mean, it also represents the fact that it's an apple and not, say, like a tomato. I think they wanted right. like a visual cue in there. <laughs> You can eat a tomato like that. Come on. I have. I have too. (laughs) I don't like this assumption. Um, But yeah, there's a lot of logo legends around this. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another one goes back to the death of Alan Turing, who died by cyanide-laced apple in 1954. Steve Jobs and early coders working on what became Apple, according to the story, wanted to pay a tribute to the work Turing had done, uh, that they were building off of. But most people in the know say this isn't actually true. It sounds like one of those things where it's like a nice story and you want to believe it, but probably not. Yeah, I yeah, Steve, Steve Jobs, I think, has said something to the extent of like, well, I really like apples. Um, uh, <laughs> and um, for, for sure, the very first iteration of that logo was the Newton under the tree thing. I'm not sure if they were inspired by Newton or if mm-hmm. it was just enjoying apples or it was the Turing thing. At any rate, this is this is all the stuff of uh, uh, m- mysteries of tech history. Yes. Lots of mysteries in this Apple episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and apples weren't just associated with sin and fertility. I mean, as we've been kind of alluding to, they're also associated with knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and to that end, in 2014, bio artist, which I did not know this was a thing, but very cool, Joe Davis said about creating a literal tree of knowledge by using DNA of the oldest known strain of apple to store 50,000 of Wikipedia's most popular pages. <laughs> This is a fascinating read. I I highly recommend learning more about it. But apparently a single drop of DNA can store 700 terabytes of data. Um, And the trick is converting the four nucleotide bases that make up DNA to binary code. And they were Mm. talking about how many trees this is going to take to get all of Wikipedia in there. And fascinating. Just fascinating. (laughs) Um, Back to literal apples, though. Um, These days, apple producers... Are, are indeed concerned about disruptions to, to the international supply chain and the consumer market that have been brought about due to COVID. Um, but they are even more concerned about climate change. Yeah. Very concerning. Two very concerning yeah. things. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, and like we said at the top, really, there's so many, so many branches on this one that we could have gone down. <laughs> Um, so if there's like a, an aspect you'd really want us to hone in on, just just let us know. Just let us know. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I am. Um, oh, and now now I just have a really huge craving for apple butter. I love an apple butter. Apple butter is pretty fantastic. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Uh, well, <laughs> now that now that we have that craving, we do have some listener mail for you. We do, but first we've got one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. We've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy pina colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you? Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. Mm-hmm. I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks, but I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here, when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a savor team trip yeah. together. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, I mean, we're, we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this is, yeah. this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go, and I'm hungry. No me passport too. is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Today's episode is brought to you by Westholm. I'm a person who doesn't really cook with a lot of meat, to be honest, because when I do, I want it to be special. I'm the same, and I do love sharing that food with people. And I have to say, we received some product, some steak, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I am very eager to share it with my friends. Yeah, uh, West Holm sent us uh, a few of their products, and they included these gorgeous, gigantic tomahawk steaks that I, like, opened the box and immediately sent a picture to my best grilling friend, like, hang out soon. Yes, I did too. (laughs) West Holm offers these beautifully marbled steaks because they have 16 million acres of rangeland across the northeast corner of Australia, from Brisbane to Darwin. They use a nature-led approach with the belief that if they balance the needs of their cattle with the needs of their environment, both can thrive. Their cattle graze on native grasses like Mitchell grass, which is found only in Australia, and roam wild, foraging at will for the first two to three years of their lives. The result is Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of northern Australia, and a quality that would complement whatever you're into cooking right now. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholme.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash savor. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. 
Learn more at ibm.com slash consulting. IBM. Let's create. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with the Snur- the Snur- it's an apple getting thrown up and being dropped. Gravity. Yeah. I can't whistle. Um, <laughs> and I know that's really <laughs> unimportant to what just happened, but I was trying to think of like that kind of whistling sound that cartoons oh, use a lot uh-huh. when something's yeah. dropping. Uh-huh. I was trying to replicate that. I don't know how successful I was, but you win some, <laughs> you lose some, you know. <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> thank you. It's the effort that's important. It's the journey, not the destination. Oh, yes. Thank you. E for <laughs> effort for me. Uh, <laughs> Ashley wrote, I recently listened to your marshmallow episode and I loved it. I love your podcast and always look forward to new episodes. Oh, thank you. Uh, I totally forgot about fluffer donors until it was brought up in your podcast. <laughs> I had them occasionally growing up, but never knew the name for them. In 2016, my family and I had a trip to Hawaii with my grandparents. We brought the game Taboo and played the game while having coffee together one day, and my grandpa got the word Fluffernutter and started laughing, thinking the word was funny, and having trouble trying to describe it without using the word listed. (laughs) I was on his team and looked at his card to try to help him, and I started laughing too. And the rest of my family started laughing simply because my grandpa and I were and thought it was funny how hard it was for us to stop. (laughs) Since this trip my grandpa has unfortunately passed away but this is one of my favorite memories with my grandpa and I forgot about it until listening to your marshmallow episode I'm so happy I remembered that day on the trip I feel like I unlocked a forgotten memory thank you for talking about fluffernutters oh that's a beautiful story I too forgot about fluffernutters and it is a very (laughs) funny word it's really silly (laughs) fluffernutters I wish I had more occasion to use it Oh, yeah. Well, you could start using it as an adjective or something if you really wanted to. I think it would be a very cute like, curse, like, oh, fluffernutters. <laughs> I I occasionally call the cats fluffernutters. I'll be like, what's up, little fluffernutter? What are you doing? <laughs> That's a pretty solid nickname. It's pretty yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> Mary wrote... You inadvertently solved a lifelong mystery for me, albeit a rather low-key one, in your episode on cashews. My grandparents lived in Springfield, Missouri, and we would visit them every summer throughout my childhood. My family lived in Kansas City, about a four- or five-hour drive away. My grandma was a character with strong opinions and a lot of energy. Mostly, this was good. She was proud of her family and her town and not above, let's say, embellishing some facts to make them look better. She was always trying something new, and some of my favorite times as a kid happened on these visits to her house. This included my introduction to Chinese food, which was almost always a deep-fried version of cashew chicken— Delicious, but I remember my grandma claiming this Chinese dish was created in Springfield. I was sort of doubtful of this. Springfield is not a very diverse city and does not have a large Asian population. It seemed doubtful that a Chinese dish would be from there. But my grandma was fiercely protective and proud of her town, and I did not wish to question her facts. I never really looked it up. It was in the 80s, I was a kid, and time passed. No Google back then, and it kind of fell from my mind. But then your podcast on cashews came on, and wow, Grandma was right. Springfield, Missouri is indeed the home of a deep-fried version of cashew chicken. I feel bad for doubting her on this, but at least she has been vindicated. 
She passed away about 10 years ago. I miss her and wish I could share the fact that her beloved hometown made an appearance on one of my favorite podcasts. <laughs> oh, oh, I love it. <laughs> I'm glad we could help solve this mystery for you. Yes. Oh, my heck. Oh, my heck. <laughs> I also love... I love the I love the story. I just love the whole thing. I love that there is a deep fried version of this dish yeah. in Springfield, Missouri, and it's called Springfield style. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently, even people who have eaten it are confused about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those. I really am a fan. Through this show, I've learned that in this big country, there's just these super regional dishes. Yeah, and I love it so much. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's really amazing. Um, and especially like, you know, it, it's, uh, if you're, if you're the kind of traveler who just kind of like shows up and sees what they see, um, then you might miss some of these things. So mm-hmm. it's really, it's really wonderful getting to do this kind of research and talk to these kind of humans about this sort of stuff. And like, yeah, really, really dig in deep to, to what the local specialties are. Yes. Oh, Always, always, always send interesting local specialties or any local specialties our way. They're all interesting. They are. Uh, (laughs) Yes. Thanks to both of those listeners for writing. If you would like to send those to us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We are also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Our handle at all three is at saverpod, and we do hope to hear from you. Savor is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Hello, iHeart listener. We have a confession to make. Both iHeart and this commercial you're listening to right now would probably sound a heck of a lot better on the new Roku Pro Series TV. It's got side-firing speakers that fill your room with sound, Dolby Atmos audio that puts you right in the middle of the entertainment, and the ability to pair seamlessly with your home theater sound systems that already have surround sound and booming bass. If all that sounds too good to be true, it'll sound even better on the new Roku Pro Series. Your hearing isn't better. Your TV is. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like. Whoa. And. Hmm. Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer.